Hello, Freedom Pact. We are extremely excited about today's guest. In this coming episode, we will be interviewing a lady that Forbes has labelled one of the hundred most powerful women in the world in 2015 and 2016, as well as spending three decades at General Electric in positions that included Chief Marketing Officer and Vice Chair of Innovation. Our guest has also held a succession of roles at behemoth media organisations that include CNN and NBC. A director at Nike, and is here today to talk about the release of her new book, Imagine It Forward, which looks at mastering change in the face of uncertainty, a book that also includes a segment into how she turned down Steve Jobs twice, which is pretty cool if I say so. Ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great privilege to welcome today's guest onto the show, Beth Comstock. Welcome to the Freedom Pact. Great. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Wonderful. Beth, the hardest thing about writing your introduction was the things which I had to leave out. <laughs> you know, it's pretty incredible what you've done. Um, but in regards to today's book, the book is called Imagine It Forward. So how would you firstly define imagination? Oh, it's a good question. Um, it's such a broad, uh, it's such a, a word that it sparks imagination in so many people. For the sake of this book, I'm really trying to hone it in to be creative problem solving, the ability uh, also to think ahead and kind of make make and shape new futures. So that's, with respect to the book, that's how I'm trying to focus on imagination. Now, in regards to imagination, is this something that some people simply have over others, or is it a skill that we can learn and develop? Well, it's it's at the heart of our humanity, and uh, I think everyone has it. Um, and yes, there are ways we can, um, d- skills we can adopt, practices we can we can undertake to get more in touch with it. But everyone has it. And part of what led me to write the book was I feel in most of our modern institutions, um, we're, we risk the imagination being squeezed out of us because we are focused on reliability, predictability, uh, what I call in my introduction, uh, the imagination gap, that really this area where creative problem solving, doing things in new ways goes to die and really options for the future go to die. And um, I think given the nature and pace of change in the world we're living in now with so many intersections of technology and globalization and all the things we know, we have to solve our new problems in new ways. And so I worry that our institutions are squeezing that imagination out of us. This gap is getting bigger. And frankly, I think we who work in institutions, whether it's a company, uh, academic, uh, uh, you know, some other institution, most of us work with other people. We have to fight for new ways of solving problems. Wow. I wanted to talk more about what you've called the imagination gap. And I think that this relates, if I understand it correctly, into companies almost be becoming say stuck on a tangent you know and becoming stuck in the here and now with with maybe not really a a vision plan or maybe being afraid to take a leap into uncertainty how big of a problem do you think that this is I think it's a huge problem. I think people are afraid to take leaps into uncertainty. Um, we want to already know the answer. Uh, I, I've been—I I haven't done quantitative research, but very much um, 
just sort of out and about and sort of in, interpret, interpreting what I'm hearing from a lot of teachers, both um, early education and higher education, that students increasingly are coming to class afraid to fail, afraid to not know the answer, afraid they won't be successful. And teachers are getting quite frustrated with this. So it's not just our institutions where we work in our careers. We're seeing it much earlier. Um, and I think it's this uh, quest for perfection, this um, formulaic efficiency uh, kind of mindset that's that's a result of the industrial revolution only getting, I think, more pronounced in this kind of digital machine age where it's about algorithms and formulas. But I, I worry what it's doing to all of us um, in fueling that imagination gap. Um, we, we want answers. We don't, we want data. We believe there's always more data that's going to tell us what we need to know. We don't like ambiguity. We don't like not knowing the answer. And I think that's really where it starts is to say, we're going to figure it out. We don't know all, all, all the way forward. Another common theme uh, in the book, which you just touched on a little bit, is failure and making a mess. And that's something we absolutely love. Um, we've done episodes on failure before. And it's extremely relevant to yourself. From an early age, this is something that you dealt with. I believe we heard of a news company telling you once that you were too young and that you may not make it in the industry. Do you think failure is something that we should be really encouraging more today? Um, yes, I think how can you, one, how can you learn if you don't make room for failure? How can you come up with new solutions in your company and if you don't make room for failure? But none of us want to fail. I don't like to fail. Do you? I mean... I've, I've only met a few people in my life who said, yeah, I love to fail, and I even question whether they were sincere. <laughs> Most of us don't want mm. to fail. Um, and so what I feel like I learned in the course of career, I think it's, it's, it's what makes an entrepreneur at heart, and I think entrepreneurs exist everywhere, not just in startups, but this notion of kind of test and learn. So you're, you're reducing failure to a smaller scale. Um, you're testing things. You have a hypothesis. You're asking questions. Um, you're, you, you, you sort of bake failure into the way you work. I think that's a much uh, better way of going forward rather than saying we cannot fail because then inevitably failure happens and you've perhaps done it at a scale that is uh, hard to take in your organization or your team or your life. Um, so I'm much more of a model of reducing um, your failure to small acts of failure in, a, in an effort to learn. Um, and even big acts happen, and you have to accept that that's part of it. I think one of the best questions if you work on a team of people or with your kids, um, if something's not gone right, if you've failed at something, to say, what did you learn? What are we going to make sure we're not going to do again because of this? Or what can we do faster or better because of the failure we had? Uh, rather than spending all our time going, how could you? What's wrong with you? You should have known better. Um, those are our natural reactions. But what if we try to reframe it to go, okay, that, that stinks. I, I messed up. What did I learn? What's going to be different next time? Um, so, it, you know, again, we know that as people, it's just hard to do. It's just, it's hard to do, especially when uh, investors are breathing down your neck, quarterly profits or whatever the metrics are in your particular organization. Sometimes those sort of blur 
the the um the this the, the, the our ability to see that that maybe we need to bake some failure on our on our path forward yeah i wonder if is there say like a process for this because i heard the story that you were talking about where um you were reaching out for months and months to uh, to the head of uh, a news report in firm and, and eventually after six or so months that he reached back and said, you know, you're too young. I would never hire anyone like you. You know, you would never make it in the industry and so on and so forth. And and I think back that like very early on in my life, you know, if that happened, then, you know, it could be a movies and ice cream job. <laughs> you know, it hasn't always been so, um, you know, like I haven't always been in the mindset of processing things and then, finding out where to go from there. Have you always been very understanding in where to go next from learning a failure or was it just something which you've adapted to over time? Oh, no. I, I still struggle with it. I mean, I'm a perfectionist. I'm a recovering perfectionist. Uh, <laughs> uh, failing is really hard. And so the, the example you're talking about, I mean, I was very, very early in my career, wanted to be a television journalist. I, I studied biology, but I really wanted to be a science journalist and went down that path. And I actually just, I wasn't so good because I wasn't very confident. I was just starting out. Um, I share a story of, you know, calling up a new, local television news director and every day. I, 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 and the more he ignored me, the more a resilience came up in me and finally he picks up the phone and says you know why are you call stop calling me every day I'm never gonna hire you I've looked at your tapes anyone who looks like you you look like you're 12 years old why would I ever hire you um it was devastating you know I had sort of summoned this courage and then he shot me down but at that moment I was like wait a minute you don't know me it was a test of my resilience this kind of okay you say no I say not yet and so it was failure, but it was also a test of, do I believe I want to go forward? Do I want to keep trying? Um, and so I tried different ways around. I ended up working in um, different settings, you know, where, where I got to test out some of my abilities as a journalist. Um, I wasn't very confident. I questioned myself a lot. But those moments make you. Um, and they, they question, do I believe I want to go forward? And so I like that story for that reason, because they're always gatekeepers. They're always people who prevent you from doing something and it present a failing option and you have to say to yourself okay am i going to keep trying am i going to find another way around it that is a beautiful example we know our audience will appreciate that story like we did also in, in the book it seems that you're a proponent of human skills things such as empathy vision creativity all the qualities and traits that cannot possibly be replaced by a machine what is it about these skills exactly? And are there any other skills that going forward you think will become hugely relevant? Yeah, well, I again, I worry in this kind of mechanistic time we're in where every, everybody's afraid of working for a robot, um, whether it's a robot in terms of an algorithm or a robot on a manufacturing line. Yet we ought to stop and ask ourselves, are we becoming more robotic before the robots even get here? I think we are. Um, some of the things we mentioned earlier, the need to just constantly look for answers, look for repeatable processes, efficiency. Um, you think about what's happening in the world of social media and data and the connectivity we have online, all the great things out of that. But it also starts to look for 
formulaic, identifying people who meet certain patterns. And so I think for all of us, um, our humanity uh, at, at work is going forward. It's about flexing more creative muscles, this creative problem solving I've been talking about. The ability to make room for discovery, come out and find what's new, see trends and insights early before they disrupt you, um, find the wonder in learning, um, the ability to ask questions, the ability to, to be critical, what I call agitated inquiry, I mean, kind of beat your ideas up, say, is there a better way? Um, and then the need for collaboration um, and working together with other people. These are things that... Um, that are uniquely ours and I think it'll be a long time before a machine figures out some of those I guess at the end of the day I'd say just be unpredictable that's our human given uh, capability um, the more predictable we are the more we can be copied by a robot or an algorithm when we told people that you were appearing on the show the reaction in particular from women was that they see you as an enormous figure of female empowerment in the workplace if you were advising a young lady, perhaps just out of college, what would your advice be to a driven young woman starting out in an organizational setting? Yeah, I love that question. I mean, um, I, I there's a lot to condense here. I, I guess the first thing I would say is just one to what we were saying earlier, realize, and this is for men and women, but realize that especially the early part of your career, you are on this discovery journey. You are not fully baked. You do, you know, you don't, you, everybody's told you what success looks like, but you have to figure it out for yourself. So make room to discover what that is for you. Make room to fail, try different things out. And especially for women, I think we, because we have had harder, it's been harder to get opportunities in business. Uh, it's been harder to advance in roles because I think people mean well, but often people just hire people like themselves. So as women or people with different global backgrounds, we often, um, just by the way we look, we speak to difference and people sometimes are, are afraid of difference. So recognize that you, you, your difference is, is a strength, even though it may come off as a weakness. I found the more I kind of owned my difference, I was a woman. I was a creative woman, I was um, a marketing uh, person in an engineering company. The more I tried to own the difference, kind of owned who I uniquely was, the easier it came for me to find my path forward, not try to be like everyone else. I made a conscious decision I was not going to, in my in my day, you know, there were a lot of women uh, who I worked with who tried to be like the guys knowing all the sports scores. And if you love sports, that's great. You can fit in. But I didn't. And I wasn't going to do that. I made it. I'm not going to figure out how to play golf. I don't like playing golf. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to dress crazy and wear nutty shoes and just be who I am. So I guess my advice, especially for women, is continue to work really hard, try different things, but accept your difference, own it. Um, and it's kind of like maybe your mother told you, you know, just try to be yourself. Um, and that's often very hard when everyone else is kind of fitting a certain pattern. Um, but just just kind of believe in that difference of yourself. I, I guarantee in my experiences, it really is what makes 
you stand out. Uh, of course, you have to work really hard and you have to be really good. I mean, that would be the last thing for anybody, man or woman. Like, you have to be good. And especially for women, because you're getting a little bit more scrutiny, just the work has to be really good. So don't don't give up on the on the good work either. Would you say that it's the say the creative aspect or the 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 self confidence or maybe there's another trait which you may have uh, illustrated there which has really been very beneficial for you uh, throughout your career? Well, I think I think uh, I uh, over time came to own my creativity, but I, I look I'm not any more creative than most people. I just recognized it was something I needed to express and I wanted to see other people express it's not like I'm a creative genius um and I think for me and a couple of other things that are that I I had to uh, sort of appreciate and um I think my persistence um that no is not yet back to that earlier story about the news director okay you don't define me I'm going to find other ways to get a job in this in this area um and so um, the resilience. Uh, are you are you able to keep coming back? Do you believe in something? You're going to just keep trying different ways in. It may not be exactly where you thought you were going to end up, but it's it's along the journey, and you're kind of defining that. So I think resilience is a is another key thing. Um, and for myself, I think um, I'm a natural storyteller. Uh, I had to learn how to get out of my own way and my introversion and those kinds of things. But um, the the power of story and the, the kind of ability to tell a story and communicate are things I've had to that I think have helped me differentiate myself. So long way of saying one of those core essences as you're building your career is, is sort of appreciate your strengths and keep developing your strengths. I can't tell you how many times I often focused on what I wasn't doing well when I might have been better suited to really focus on what I do well. Not only have you achieved astonishing organizational success, but you've done it all whilst juggling parenthood. And this is a question we got from a lot of women, especially when we announced your appearance on the show. Is that work-life balance or work-family balance, especially in an organizational setting? What advice could you give on finding the perfect balance between those two? Well, I'm not sure I am going to be your role model or poster woman for balance. Um, I'm just not, not a balanced person. <laughs> you know, anyone you you ask know me would tell you I'm I'm I've got a lot of faults about that. I I just do everything with huge intensity, and um, it's helped me forge a career. Um, look, I had two. I have two amazing daughters. They're grown. I have a great husband. As I document in my book, I'm divorced, so I I, I had to work my way through a, a colossal failure. Um, I worked from the moment my older daughter was born, um, and so I uh, I had to constantly juggle family and work, and sometimes work won out. Uh, hopefully, my family won out in the aggregate, but sometimes work won out. And I had to convey to my family a sense of the fact that not only did I need to work for a paycheck, but that work was important to me. Um, and so I think that would be my advice. Um, one is just convey to your family why it's important for you, what what you're trying to do in career. I wish I had brought my daughters into career, my career more. I worked with a, a woman 
uh, when I was at GE, and she used to bring her daughter and son to meetings, and I loved that. They they got to see their mom in a much more well-rounded way. I, you know, I'd bring my daughter to, daughters to a few work events, but they didn't see me in the course of my day, um, and I thought that was really a great way to give your kids an insight into what you do when you're not when you're not with them. But I I guess my advice would be maybe don't expect perfect balance. You're not going to get it. And define balance on your terms. Um, if weekends are sacred, make them sacred. Don't get on your email. Don't set up things. Be with your family. Um, if you're going to travel like crazy Monday through Friday, say to your family, this is the way I work. This is what I'm doing. Here's how we're going to connect. So be very clear about communicating it and understand what balance is to you. Uh, and then try to articulate it to other people. Um, but again, I, um, as somebody who is probably not always so balanced, these are things I learned in hindsight. Mm. It's very interesting what you said there, and I'd love to talk to you some more about this idea of parenthood. And I wonder um, specifically if you've taken the ideas from your book in an organizational settings and applied them to your kids, maybe in terms of encouraging them to say, maybe take risks and not always need to know the answer. Is this something which you have practiced? Um, as I got older and wiser, yes. Early on, not as much. I mean, I wish I could go back in time for my kids a bit more and take some of those lessons. I think I was, hard, I, I was uh, as I said, I'm a recovering perfectionist. I <laughs> always was the good girl in school, got good grades, worked really hard to make sure I was super successful. And I think especially my older daughter probably got it more than my younger one, just this sort of same behavior you know why didn't you do better how you know as opposed to what did you learn what, what did you mess up today so um i i think i over time i think i chilled a lot more but those would if i could go back in time i think those would have been the the, the you know the things i learned that i might have done differently one observation that we've made from uh, observing your social media is that you are a proponent of reading and we'll link any book lists you have in the show notes. But what we wanted to ask and what our listeners always love to hear, are there any book recommendations that you could give our listeners that have really helped you or really benefited you in some way? Oh, there's so many. Um, I, I think I would say one that I always like to give out that um, that is about that creative habit. In fact, it's called The Creative Habit. Back to where we started is creativity innate. Yes. Uh, how do you apply it? To me, I'm talking about applied creativity. And so Twyla Tharp, the choreographer, has a great book that I've always loved called The Creative Habit. And I can't tell you how relevant I have found that uh, to be f it, for me. So that's one I would uh, I would start with. Um, there's just a slew of good business books um, uh, that um, that I, I, I think are really helpful. One coming up I can recommend that's uh, with a former colleague, a guy named Aaron Dignan, called Brave New Work, which is, I think it comes out uh, later in February. Um, and it's about new models of working and how do you collaborate differently. And he and I work together in kind of the digital disruption era. And I, 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 I know some of his tools really work well. I like Kim Scott's Radical Candor. I, um, as I progressed in my my career and, and in work, I f came to appreciate uh, 
just very deeply the role of feedback and the value of candor in terms of dealing with your colleagues. Um, and so Kim Scott's radical candor, uh, I think, is really great for any uh, early manager, uh, early, anyone on a team who has to work with other people. It gives you really good tools and scripts and things like that. So those would be three. And then finally, I'm just a voracious reader of great fiction. I think fiction makes me more imaginative. It opens my brain to new worlds, new thoughts. I get to define, even though the writer has written them, I get to define the characters in my own imagination with them as the guide. And so I have a practice of, uh, of reading classic literature and then a contemporary piece of fiction. Right now, I, for, this, for some reason, I've been on a Virginia Woolf tear. Right now, I, I just finished Orlando, and I'm reading To the, Lighthou to the Lighthouse right now. Um, so I, th I, I think that would be something uh, I've adopted as a practice. Thank you so much for those recommendations. Um, I wonder, this is a question which we've been asking our, get our guests a lot, and we wonder... Are there any particular habits or maybe beliefs which you have developed, say, in the last two to five years or maybe even more recent that has made you more effective or has improved your life in some type of way? Well, I think um, this notion, this mantra of make room for discovery is just something <clears throat> I have, believe in and it has guided my life and career. Um, this idea of just getting out into the world, going and seeing for yourself. Um, you can't, you know, you don't need to read a report. Uh, trend reports are helpful, but you sometimes you have to go see for yourself. And I like this uh, idea of once you're out in the world, you start to see patterns. I have a really simple um, rule of thumb. I call it going on threes. The, I'm out and about, I go to, I want to understand change, I want to see things, especially things that might at first blush seem weird, but I'm out in the world and I say, first time I see something, I go, huh, that's interesting, second time I'll ask, is that a coincidence, third time I don't need an official like report from McKinsey or something, I say, that's a trend, I need to learn more, what's happening? And it's guided me in my career on things like the digitization of media and industry, um, the maker movement, you know, 3D printing, things like that were, were things I, uh, blockchain and Bitcoin were things that I and teams I worked with were able to grab early in our company because we got out and understood it. Um, I just think that's how you learn in the world. So that... I uh, talk in the book about being an outsider inside, and I feel like that ability to constantly be understanding what's happening in the world at large and then translate it into what makes it relevant for your team or your organization really helped me build a career and go forward. So that would, that would be, I think, my, my big message here is open your eyes, get out, explore, start to be good at pattern recognition, start to understand where the world's going. That, that would be my key thing to say. Wow, that, that's an incredibly valuable answer. And you know, we can't thank you enough for, for some of the value you've given in this episode. What we, what we like to do with our guests is to sort of condense down the messages in the episode. We always like to ask, if you were given the opportunity to just broadcast one single message to every person in the world in a condensed form, what message would you most likely pass on? Uh, okay, well, I think we're, we're in a time of incredible disruptive change. We all have to get comfortable with change. None of us likes it. I don't like change, and I'm somebody who's devoted a career to understanding it. But the reality is 
you do have to face into the fears that, that, that come with trying things in new ways. You have to give yourself permission to take small steps forward, to kind of grab your own personal agency, to try things, be open to discover, be open to fail, be open to experiment. I think that's the only way you can navigate uh, the pace um, of change and look for new creative uh, solutions to solving some of the new problems we, uh, we see in a more complex world. Beth, Lewis and I, and from all of our listeners, we can't thank you enough you know, for, for coming on the show and for everything which you've said today. We thought it was incredible. So Beth Comstock, thank you so much. Thank you both. Thanks for thanks for having me. And I think I'd sum it up with just change starts with you. Go out and discover. So thank you for the opportunity.